Sometimes teachers have to ask questions the students aren't asking. Questions to challenge them to consider things they accept as facts. Today we're going to look at one of those. Should Christians strive for excellence in all things? When I ask that question to my students, I get a dull sort of da look. To them, the answer is so obvious. In a word, my students are driven. I teach in a classical Christian school. Most of these kids grew up in Christian families, and many of them already claim to be followers of Jesus. They've been told by their parents, because I've told my kids this, school, sharpening their minds, is their job. So focus on it and do it well. The students in my school come by this drivenness naturally. They got it from their parents and their teachers. And their parents and teachers got it from their culture. It is an A-plus, excellence-driven world out there. A world where C-minus outcomes just don't cut it. To do our best is the standard, and to be the best is the goal. And anything less is simply not to make the grade. When it comes to excellence, I like to give adults a little quiz. Here it is, true or false. I'd be okay with the following statements. We've reviewed your job performance, and you are a C-minus employee. Honey... After 25 years of marriage, you've been a steady C-minus wife. Or how about this? You're the best C-minus mommy in the whole wide world. Or, hey Bill, our foursome could use a consistent C-minus golfer like you. I'd suggest if you answered false to most or all of those, you are driven to excel. And if you are, you're probably living life at a sprint Though scripture teaches we are finite and required to make choices, hard ones, most of us don't live life that way. As we've learned in the Word Pictures podcast, to be a Christian means to go all in in faith in Jesus as Messiah and Lord. In John 10, which we looked at in episode 104, Jesus makes the statement, When you've gone all in on me as your shepherd, no one can rip you from my hand. There in John and in other places, we're told once all in on Jesus, Satan can't rip you away. Whether or not you can walk away is a different question that my students sometimes have and we may address in a future Bible questions. Satan can't rip you away, but I've heard and witnessed how he can push us in the direction of an extreme, how he can take God's gifts like study, vocation, sex, food and drink, and twist them or push us to a destructive extreme. I believe that's spot on. The truth is, we are finite. Sooner or later, we wake up to that reality that we must live with limitations. And living with limitations means a life of difficult choices. With limited time and energy, we cannot do our best in every pursuit. Almost certainly, we can't be the best in any pursuit. The current odds are 7 billion to 1. My students need to learn, as do their parents and teachers, we cannot get an A-plus on every subject we take. Because most sincere followers of Jesus I've known don't embrace our limitations and make those difficult choices very well, we live life at a sprint, and sometimes we're almost neurotic. By the time I get my 8th grade students, they've taken logic. This is a little intimidating. They remind me of it occasionally when I say something that doesn't make sense. But when it comes to excellence, 
most of these smarty pants students have embraced their own illogical conclusion, that regarding excellence in academics, sports, music, and the arts, and in their future, their relationships and careers. And so I unpacked for them in the form of a syllogism, their defective argument. A syllogism is a fancy word for a deductive argument. It's made up of a major premise, a minor premise, and a conclusion that follows. It's assumed those premises are accurate, so therefore the conclusion is accurate. Are you ready for this? Here it is. The major premise. Jesus is to be the pattern for his followers in all things. The minor premise. Jesus did all things well. The conclusion. Therefore, followers of Jesus are to do all things well. There it is. Christian excellence in a deductive argument. It sounds pretty clear cut, doesn't it? But is the major and minor premise accurate? Let's take a look. First, the major premise. Jesus is the pattern for his followers in all things. Is he? As a little boy, I watched my mother sew. She'd unfold a crinkly yellow paper and pin it tightly to the cloth on the kitchen table. Then she'd work her scissors down the lines of the pattern. I can still hear the snip, snip, snip of her scissors. Now I ask you, can a believer unfold the character of Jesus from Scripture, pin those actions and attitudes of Jesus over our lives, and cut precisely along those lines? As a young believer, I would have answered that question with a resounding yes. I'd read the book In His Steps and its theme modernized in the What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker popular during my teenage years. Both of these seem to capture, in a phrase, the heart of 1 Peter 2.21. For to this you've been called, for Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you would follow in his steps. Snip, snip, snip. I also pondered the words of Jesus, who told me through the gospel writer Luke, that an apprentice, when fully taught, is just like his teacher. Then in the New Testament, we were given the term Christian which literally means little anointed ones, little Christs. And from that, I believed we were called to be spitting images of Jesus in both word and attitude. So for me, the major premise was clearly demonstrated. Jesus is the pattern for his followers in all things. And if I'm his follower, I need to cut along those same lines as Jesus. But every student has report card time. And as I neared my 30th anniversary of following Jesus, it was pretty evident my little spiritual home ec project wasn't turning out so great. I had cut nowhere near the lines of the pattern of Jesus, and neither had those around me. So turning back to the scriptures, I kept finding passages that Jesus was a pattern that I could not duplicate at a number of critical points. And here they are. Jesus had neither a sin nature nor sin. Except for one agonizing moment at the cross when the sin of the world was laid on him, Jesus had intimate, unbroken fellowship with the Father. Jesus was continually being filled with the Holy Spirit as evidenced by the lavish fruit of the Spirit in his life. Jesus evidenced all the spiritual gifts and possessed them inherently as God's Son and the perfect man. And a fifth difference was Jesus had a crystal clear mission for his life. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I, as his follower, have none of those things perfectly. 
Though for decades I've been very committed to Jesus, I knew I couldn't cut along those same pattern lines. Forget it. But at the same time, I couldn't turn in my spiritual scissors and walk away just because of my consistently lousy outcomes. I also found verses that make it clear that though I'll never cut along the lines of the pattern of Jesus perfectly, I can learn. And I am expected to learn to cut along those same holy lines with ever-increasing precision. Scripture vibrates with teaching that as a follower of Jesus, I have a new nature and I can walk in it. It tells me I have a restored Abba-Father relationship with God. It tells me that while I don't have all the spiritual gifts, God's placed me into a local body of believers who do have all the gifts. And together, as a functioning community, we can become the fullness of Jesus. That's in Ephesians 4. And it tells me I can give God and keep giving God the keys to the compartments of my life. In biblical terms, to have a fullness of the Spirit by continually being filled with the Spirit of God. Scripture teaches, I must cut along the pattern of Jesus, but I can't do it on my own. But I can cut closer with his help. In logic, the major premise fails. It is not accurate. Next, let's look at the minor premise. Jesus did all things well. Did Jesus do all things well? In Mark's Gospel, he reports this reaction from those who followed Jesus. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. That's Mark 7:37. What Jesus did, he did A plus well. But did Jesus do all things? I mean, all my students' things, or their parents' things, or their teachers' things. Jesus didn't have a home or a high-mileage donkey to maintain. Jesus didn't have a a 60-hour-a-week job plus a two-hour daily commute. Jesus didn't have a wife to care for, and any married believer will agree with Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians that being married means dividing your energies and devotions. Jesus didn't have kids, and those who say living with the disciples was like having kids obviously never had kids. Jesus didn't get up at 3 in the morning to help Peter throw up or change his sheets or haul 12 disciples to 12 different soccer fields for twice-a-day practices. Jesus did not do all our things that we in this driven world feel compelled to do. The minor premise fails. He dropped some of the courses which were driven to achieve our A-pluses. Now stop with me and think for a moment. Jesus, the perfect man intimate with the Father, filled with the Spirit and utterly focused on his clarion mission, chose to drop some of the courses that occupy the bulk of our time. How can you and I believe we can get A-plus on the courses that matter to God and get A-pluses in our many electives on top of that? Followers of Jesus do not do all things well. We're finite people and we must live with limitations. And limitations means life is full of difficult choices. Let me ask you a penetrating question. Whose report card really matters? Is it acceptable to be a C-minus Christian in this A-plus world? Well, that depends on which report card matters. If our priority is the world's report card, then C-minuses or Fs or drop courses simply are unacceptable. But if our priority is God's report card, 
C minuses or Fs or drop courses on some subjects are not only acceptable, they're essential. Scripture teaches when Abba Father reads our report cards, he's looking that we're doing our human best in word and deed to his glory, undergirded by the helper, his Holy Spirit, in all his things he's assigned us to do, both as individuals and as communities of believers in local churches. May I propose a better logical syllogism to manage our lives in this high-velocity, excellence-driven culture? How about this major premise? Jesus can teach us to do all his things. Minor premise, Jesus teaches all his things well. Conclusion, Jesus can teach us to do all his things well. Which leads to an obvious question. What are God's things? What are those core courses God wants his followers to do well? I think I can give you a hand on an answer to that question, and I'll do it in our next Bible Questions.